Okay, wow, we have so much to get to here. Staggering new poll numbers that show impeachment has backfired. Trump in the lead in multiple swing states. But of course, we begin with the FISA report, and it was just released. I have not had a chance to read all 400-plus pages, but of course, I've gone through a lot of the reporting over here. And essentially, the FISA report concludes that the FBI misled the FISA court many, many times, exaggerated evidence to inflate the justification for spying on Carter Page. So they essentially inflated evidence and fabricated evidence and exaggerated it to make it seem like they were justified in spying on a Republican campaign. And they made at least 17 mistakes or omissions on the FISA application. So, I mean, there were egregious mistakes made. Oh, but by the way, the report concludes their biases did not impact the investigation in any way. The FBI activities were warranted and their surveillance, their spying on Trump's campaign was entirely justified. So how are we supposed to take this seriously? They make all these mistakes against Trump. Mistakes, quote-unquote mistakes. No mistakes made in Trump's favor. 17 mistakes or omissions on the FISA application. So they misled the, the, the FISA court. Of course, they never told the, the FISA court that the Steele dossier was unverified, not reliable, and was, by the way, was paid for as opposition research by the Hillary campaign. No mistakes in Trump's favor. All these egregious mistakes against Trump. Lisa Page and Peter Strzok are lead inv leaders of the investigation. And and yet there were no biases and the biases did not. Well, there were biases, but the biases did not affect the investigation in any way. And it was totally justified. I mean, can anybody take this seriously? Struck and Page, they got kicked off of Mueller's investigative team because they were so egregiously biased. But we're supposed to believe that uh, their biases did not affect the investigation in any way. You know, so how are you supposed to believe such drivel? And oh, we told you this ahead of time. The IG, he's an establishment person. So I have to believe that his conclusions were determined before he ever went in. He knew that he would blast the FBI. It's like it's like James Comey with Hillary Clinton, right? Hold this press conference, show all the crimes she committed. Oh, by the way, we're not going to charge her. She didn't have intent. It, they figure out the conclusion before they begin, right? Okay, be sure to visit thekreport.com. The K Report gives you all the news and politics you want in a totally kosher way. No videos, no inappropriate pictures, no inappropriate content, just lots of great articles with all the latest news and politics of the day. The articles are short, they're easy to read, they're fun. The K Report, T-H-E, the letter K Report.com, a news website your whole family can enjoy. So let me read you some tweets here because Mark Meadows, conservative co congressman Mark Meadows, he did go through the report hours ago and he tweeted about it. So he actually put out very specific tweets. So let me try and bear with me here because I'm going through a lot of different things. So Mark Meadows says, page 361, the IG found numerous serious factual errors and omissions in the FISA application that undercut certain allegations in the application. So the, the translation is that it wasn't just these random mistakes and omissions in the FISA applications when they were applying for a warrant to spy on Carter Page, but they undercut the allegations. So they make allegations against Trump, and if they had not made certain omissions or certain mistakes, then that would have actually contradicted the allegations they're making against Trump and against Carter Page. So essentially, they lied, right? It's very simple. They lied in the report. They made allegations, and it turns out if they had given the FISA court all the information, then it would show that the allegations they were making were lies, okay? Mark Meadows says, 
Uh, FBI, he's quoting, again, FBI used knowingly false and dubious information in a FISA application as an excuse to surveil Amer uh, American citizens in the Trump campaign. Uh, Mark Meadows quotes here, page 341. Uh, it, uh, the, re the report reveals that the FBI fell far short in vetting accuracy. I'm not sure which page this is on, but it's from Mark Meadows. FBI fell far short in vetting accuracy of FISA applications, knowingly withheld exculpatory information, used defensive briefings to secretly access the Trump campaign, used known illegitimate sources and more. So that's really his summary. But page 341, this is the real bombshell here, is in August of 2016, again, Mark Meadows, the FBI used a defensive briefing with the Trump campaign as an opportunity to gather potentially relevant in investigative information about Michael Flynn. So the FBI, they want to spy on Michael Flynn or they want to dig up dirt on Michael Flynn. They have a defensive briefing with the Trump campaign. And what they're really doing is they're using it as an opportunity to surveil Michael Flynn and to try to gather up potentially relevant, basically, dirt against Michael Flynn, using a defensive briefing with an opposition candidate, because this is Obama's FBI, right, uh, to try to dig up dirt on Michael Flynn and claim, oh, yeah, and that's exactly how they trapped Michael Flynn, was, oh, we'll have a meeting at the White House, we'll just talk, you don't have to worry, and then the next thing he knows, he's being charged for lying to investigators because they made him feel all comfy and cushy as though it was just a, a, an off-the-record conversation. But, of course, he was talking to investigators. You don't need a lawyer. Don't worry about it. So, I mean, it's egregious as can be. And, 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 and A.G. Barr and John Durham have both put out statements disagreeing with this IG report. And John Durham, of course, he's, of course, the prosecutor who's investigating the, the criminal probe into the FBI spying on President Trump. So let me read you here from John Durham's uh, t tweet that he put out, a statement that he put out. And this to me is staggering to have another federal prosecutor putting out a statement uh, criticizing an IG report. I don't remember ever seeing such a thing. Here's a quote. Our investigation is not limited to developing information from within component parts of the Justice Department. Our investigation has included developing information from other persons and entities, both in the U.S. and outside the U.S., based on the evidence collected to date. Last month, we advised the Inspector General we do not agree with some of the report's conclusions as to predication and how the FBI case was opened. Essentially, John Durham is saying, we don't agree with you. We've done our own investigating. We have different sources. We don't agree with the IG that... Uh, the FBI investigation was warranted, was justified, you know, was predicated on the proper protocol. And and, and remember, what John Durham is insinuating here is the IG is limited. The IG, he speaks to everybody within the DOJ, but the IG cannot subpoena people. I don't know if the IG spoke to Christopher Steele, you know, spoke to the other, a lot of the other people here surrounding this investigation. John Durham, he's he's a prosecutor. He has subpoena power. You know, it's very similar to Mueller and, and, and being a special counsel, essentially. So John Durham's able to dig up a lot more uh, than the IG. And that's exactly what he's saying here in this statement. Our investigation is not limited to developing information within component parts of the Justice Department. That's a little dig there at the IG. So John Durham clearly saying over here that he does not agree with the finding that uh, the FBI was warranted and justified in spying on uh, President Trump. And, you know, just to read you here some brief, A.G. Barr put out a statement, not going to go through the whole statement right now, but he, uh, he essentially says, you know, that it's outrageous. He says, quote, A.G. Barr, 
It's clear that from its inception, the evidence produced by the investigation was consistently exculpatory. Nevertheless, the investigation and surveillance was pushed forward for the duration of the campaign and deep into President Trump's administration. And essentially, Barr is blasting the FBI. He says, even if you want to open the investigation initially, but the more they investigated, the more it became very clear that Trump's campaign was completely innocent. And yet, you know, rather than exonerating Trump, they let the investigation go on for months and months. They let it become publicly known. They leaked all sorts of horrific things about Trump that were not true, the Steele dossier, etc., Here's another quote from A.G. Barr, quote, the inspector general's report now makes clear the FBI launched an intrusive investigation of a presidential campaign on the thinnest of suspicions that, in my view, were insufficient to justify the steps taken. So Barr is saying here, just like John Durham, that it was not justified. And again, the IG report, I've got to say it's rigged. I mean, and you're going to say, well, listen, come on, it didn't have the conclusion that you want. I mean, what are they saying? 17, judge for yourself. I'm open. I'm open to this here. 17 mistakes or omissions misleading the FISA court, right? And none of them are in Trump's favor. All of them are exaggerating and inflating the evidence to justify spying on court, which they had, on Trump, which they had no right to justify, not mentioning to them that the Steele dossier, which was the primary piece of evidence, the IG report literally confirms everything we've thought. But oh, by the way, our conclusion is that it's okay because it didn't impact the investigation and it was justified and everything's fine. Are you kidding me? All right, I could go on about this all day. We got to move on to the other news. Of course, impeachment hearings today. It's a miracle. I have the impeachment hearings in the background listening you know, to this testimony, and it, it, it's literally a miracle that I didn't just fall asleep on my desk with my face right in front of me, You know, because it's so boring. It, it never stops being boring. In fact, it gets more boring because they're just rehashing. It's all about one phone call, right? So how, how exciting could it be? And what's ironic is they scheduled this big FISA hearing today. This is the start of the last phase before they actually vote on articles of impeachment. So they're basically like uh, summarizing all the arguments and uh, presenting the different sides of it. And it's all such a dog and pony show because we already it's all rigged. We already know how they're going to vote. Mo most of the people voting for this have already voted for impeachment like a, a year ago. And, and that was before the phone call even happened. So that shows you how rigged the whole system is. But, you know, the irony is they tried to schedule this hearing for today, clearly, to try to distract from the FISA story and get, you know, steal the spotlight away. I mean, this thing is so boring. It cannot, you cannot distract from anything with this, with this impeachment hearing. I mean, it, this, this would not tear you away from watching grass grow. I mean, if you were watching a snail walk across the sidewalk and then someone said, hey, let's watch this impeachment hearing. Trust me, you'd continue watching the snail. It's much more exciting. Now, here's the real reason I realized today. And, and at first I, th I thought, hey, that's funny, but I really believe this. Trump boycotted this entire impeachment proceeding. He did not send White House lawyers there. And I was upset. And I said, you know, if nothing else, the theatrics, it would be much it would be a much better hearing if you had the Trump lawyers there because they would do some serious fighting. And th I think that's exactly the point. You know, Trump didn't want to legitimize the hearings. He didn't want to give it credibility. I get that. I agree with all of that. But more importantly, it would have actually increased the ratings. These impeachments have been such a dud. It's just totally bombed. CNN's ratings are tanking. Nobody cares. Nobody's interested. They realize, a lot of people realize how much of a hoax this is. If Trump's there and his lawyers are there and there's real fighting back and forth and they really were defending Trump the way they should, that actually would have increased the ratings. That's the last thing that Trump wants to do. Trump actually benefits from people just totally ignoring this versus people seeing Trump's side of the story. I, I really actually think there's a lot of truth to that. Look, Trump's presidency in general 
has boosted CNN's ratings. It, it's this is a fact. MSNBC's ratings, you know, because there are so many people who don't, who don't like Trump. It, whether you like him or you hate him, you know, he's such an attraction. You know that there's just more engagement and interest in politics now than there has been in decades in this country. It's pretty fascinating. Okay, uh, a caller pointed out. You know, we we talked about the uh, the bipartisan bill. Uh, quote unquote bipartisan, where you had five Republicans joining the Democrats, I- I- calling for a two-state solution uh, in the Middle East, and it's a joke to call it bipartisan. So a caller, you know, reminded me back when there were two Democrats who voted against impeaching Trump. You remember that? Now I did not call that a bipartisan vote. I mean, it's not a bipartisan vote. You had two two Democrats. Uh, and and all the other Democrats voted to impeach Trump, and the Republicans voted not to impeach Trump. It was along party lines, you know. But I, there might have been somebody. This is the call to the point, and and it rings a bell that one of the Republicans actually did call that a bipartisan vote. My recollection is it was tongue in cheek. You know, they were saying, "Hey, it's bipartisan." In other words, it wasn't unanimous. And and and, and what I the point I made at the time. So, but I don't think any. I agree with the caller. This is a young man. I agree with the caller that anybody who seriously calls it a bipartisan vote because he had two Democrats voting not to impeach Trump. I think that that's absurd. You know, that's that, that's not right. That's ridiculous. It's misleading. I will say I did make the point. You know that. Uh, Having two Democrats vote against Trump, having any Democrats, the fact that they couldn't get unanimity in the caucus to vote to impeach Trump, that to me was very telling of how weak a case it is. Because you've got to have, I mean, you would never, I don't care what you impeached Obama on, you would have had every every Republican voting to impeach Obama, in my opinion. And I thought that that was actually a big blow to Pelosi. And I think that's part of why she, remember, she pushed it off and pushed it off. I think that's why, because she knew she wouldn't have a unanimous caucus in favor. But I'll prove it. You know, I said that the Democrats, if there were two Republicans who voted to impeach Trump, which there weren't, the the, the, the media, like they would have been so giddy about it. And I'll actually prove that because, you know, there have been reports I've been seeing for the last week. I want to tear my hair out. There are several Republican senators who may who may vote to throw Trump out of office. Remember, in the Senate, they're going to hold a trial, an impeachment trial, which decides whether Trump will stay in office. They they, they need two thirds to to throw Trump, remove him from office. Obviously, it's not going to happen. But they keep speculating the media about the three Republican senators who may actually vote against Trump in an impeachment trial in the Senate. And who and who are the three? And it's like these headlines. Come on, three Republicans. And the answer is Lisa Murkowski, Susan Collins, Mitt Romney. So Murkowski and Collins, they're super moderate. They're basically Republicans in name only, what they call rhinos, R-I-N-O. And, you know, they, of course, made Trump's life very difficult with repeal and replace Obamacare. They voted against Trump many times. And in general, you know, they just simply do not follow the Republican Party. But uh, Mitt Romney, Mitt Romney's been an enemy of Trump from day one. Remember, Mitt Romney held a press conference during the primary saying, listen, no other candidate can win. Trump can win the primary. No other candidate can win. So we have to basically divide and conquer. We have to have every state vote for a different candidate to keep Trump out of getting the primary. That was how desperate Romney was, you know, to basically go against the Republican, the wishes of the Republican Party. Here you had the Republican Party clearly choosing Trump as their winner. And Romney, you know, he was so his hatred of Trump was so strong, and I know that later he eventually made up and Trump considered him making him Secretary of State or whatever, But his, and, and then, of course, Romney first became Senator of Utah, and he put out that nasty, scathing op-ed against Trump, but his hatred burned so deep that he actually tried to sabotage Trump's nomination going against the will of the Republican Party that he's supposed to represent. I don't know, did, did, did Mitt Romney resent the fact that Trump was such a stronger candidate than he was when he ran against Obama and lost, despite Benghazi, despite IRS Gate, despite the Tea Party movement? movement. 
Okay, uh, several congressmen have called for an end to, the, to this program where they train Saudi military students in Florida on U.S. soil at this naval base in Pensacola, this outrageous program. We discussed this yesterday. And uh, now, you know, Matt Gates, who's actually a, a conservative, a, a, a Republican congressman, he represents the district where this Pensacola base is located, where you had this horrific terror attack, of course, um, this 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 Muslim, you know, Saudi shooter who, who was a naval student and he killed three fellow students. He injured at least eight others. He injured two Police saw eight others, meaning eight other people. They weren't all students. They were police officers who were the first to respond to this shooting. And now we, we've discovered, uncovered all sorts of very disturbing things. They're finally calling it a terrorist act. I, I don't know what takes them so long to call it a terrorist act. You know, they're so terrified of being politically incorrect when you have this, you know, Islamic Saudi soldier uh, you know, who's uh, training with hundreds of other Saudis in an American military base. What is that all about? We're training terrorists. The United States Navy is training terrorists. And this gets me concerned, and I'll be honest. Trump and Jared Kushner have a very cozy relationship with MBS, of course, with the whole Jamal Khashoggi thing. They gave him a pass. That you know, and, and look, we need the Saudis as an ally. The United States needs Saudi Arabia as an ally. As I've explained many times in the past, it has to do with the fight against Iran and all of Iran's proxies. It's very important. It also has to do with the Palestinians. The Saudis have been big proponents of the Palestinians, and now the Saudis are beholden to, the, to Trump in the United States. So it's very important to have that relationship. However... It's getting a little bit too cozy, in my opinion, if we're inviting hundreds of Saudi students over here, and now we have this attack. Several Saudi students have vanished, and now the FBI is looking for them. They were all also part of this whole program. This man put out anti-American and anti-Israel propaganda. This man was quoting Osama bin Laden just hours before he carried out this attack on social media. So this is extremely disturbing. So anyway, now members of Congress are saying, you've got to suspend this program, you've got to review it, investigate it, and possibly put an end to it, and I could not agree more. What benefit is there, and how could the benefit possibly outweigh the you know the risk over here? Uh, and and it's been proven, sadly, in the most tragic way. And I never even heard of this program. You know, literally hundreds and hundreds of of of, of foreign students, most of them from Saudi Arabia, training at a naval military base. It boggles the mind. Okay, um, President Trump wants to. Loosen restrictions on toilet flushing. So I find this very interesting because I've been w wanting this to happen for years. Where they have these water saving, the EPA, these environmental people, they have the, the, you know this water saving rest government restrictions. This is actually passed under George Bush Senior, George H W Bush, Bush forty one, where you, the the toilets are regulated. They can only flush a small amount of water at a time. Uh, less than, I think, 1.6 gallons. It's a federal environmental law. And Trump says you end up flushing the toilet multiple times. This actually ends up wasting more water. And they have the same thing, regulations with shower and showers and with sinks. And different locations have different rules. But they have this very, very weak stream of water coming out. And you end up using more water. That's the irony. Forgetting the fact that it's a major quality of life issue. You end up using more water. So in the name of helping conserve water and helping the environment, you're actually wasting more water. Well, why would then these liberal politicians put these regulations into place? Because it's a good 
PR stunt because it gives them a good sound bite. We have these water-saving toilets. They, they limit the amount of fl- uh, uh, of water that gets flushed. Hello, you could just press the button again and again, right? Press the the, fl- the, the whatever that piece is called that flushes the toilet. You could do that multiple times. You know, maybe they, maybe they should do that. Like, ha- have toilets are forced to have a flusher where it can only flush every twenty minutes or so. So they really limit. So here's a, literally a quote. So Trump is working uh, on actually easing some of these restrictions. So here are some quotes. From Trump, quote, people are flushing toilets 10 times, 15 times, as opposed to once they end up using more water. He wants to take common sense steps to end the overregulation on toilets. Quote, the EPA is looking very strongly at my suggestion. And then Trump says, quote, you go into a new building, a new house, and they have standards and you don't get water. You cannot wash your hands practically. There's so little water that comes out of the faucet. And the end result is you leave the faucet on and it takes you so much longer to wash your hands and you end up using the same amount of water. And it's much more, I would add, that's at the end of his quote, I would add, and it's much more annoying. You know, use the same amount of water, possibly more water. But there's no question to me that these showers and these faucets, you know, that restrict the flow and you have this very, very weak flow of water, you end up using more water. And and like I said, it takes longer. It's a, it's a waste of time. And it's a it's a very, very big quality of life issue. Um, and by the way, Trump said that in many states, you don't even have to worry about conserving water. Here's a quote. It comes down. It's called rain. Trump says he's talking about how, yeah, listen, some states, they experience droughts. So you need these conservation um, regulations. But in some states, they have plenty of water. It, it comes down. It's called rain. All right. Elizabeth Warren has released financial records that show that she earned nearly $2 million as a private lawyer. Now, this is over 30 years, but Elizabeth Warren, she, as a private lawyer in private practice, that's in addition to being a college professor and now, of course, a senator, she earned $1.9 million doing private law work, you know, for sometimes for big corporations, by the way, for very, very high-profile clients. She worked for lawyers that were involved with Enron. She worked for lawyers that were involved with big oil, you know, back uh, back before she became a socialist. Elizabeth Warren, she used to be pretty conservative. She she, she shifted to, to, to becoming a socialist, uh, well, a non-socialist socialist, I should say, you know, relatively recently. But what this does show is $1.9 million as a private lawyer, Elizabeth Warren, she's a wealthy person. I mean, you know, she's close to the top 1%, possibly in the top 1%. She and Bernie Sanders, they have these two socialists, you know, who are great at spending other people's money, who have earned an awful lot of money in the private sector thanks to free market capitalism. And the reason that this is so upsetting, you know, if you want to call it that, or outrageous, I should say, disgraceful really, is here Elizabeth Warren has been an outspoken critic of Michael Bloomberg, my friend Michael Bloomberg, Elizabeth Warren, has been blasting Michael Bloomberg because he's using his billions of dollars to try to buy the election. As opposed to Elizabeth Warren, who's going and pandering and offering uh, all sorts of freebies so that people donate money to her so that she can use their money to buy the election. It's, it's just so backward. It's just it's just so perverse, the logic here. But, but, but my, you know, what, is, what does she want? She wants Bloomberg to basically keep his money, not use it, not spend his money, and to go and fundraise money from other people and then use that money to buy ads like she's doing. What's the benefit there? It's bizarre. So, But the real point is, that uh, she is exactly the same as Bloomberg in terms of being annoyed that Bloomberg is so rich, right? Elizabeth Warren, right? She's anti-billionaire, and she thinks that rich people don't deserve their money. 
She is as she's exactly the same way. She wants money. She made money. We don't have a record of her giving a ton of money to charity. She certainly doesn't pay more taxes than they than the government forces her to pay. So hello, it's it's total hypocrisy because the only reason that Elizabeth Warren is not a billionaire like Michael Bloomberg is because she wasn't able to be. You know what? Where do you draw the line? No, well, no, I only needed to make one point nine million dollars as a lawyer, in addition to millions she made. You know, as a professor, as a senator over the years, but uh, I don't need any more than that. Michael Bloomberg needs, you know, he he made a billion dollars. So, like, are you kidding me? Come on, it's so disingenuous. Okay, uh, as I said, a new poll and impeachment is backfiring big time. This poll is from Firehouse and Optimus, and they 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 poll they surveyed people in three swing states, three key swing states, Wisconsin. Pennsylvania and Michigan. And, uh, you know, essentially, you know, President Trump in all three states is significantly beating the front running candidates, all the Democrat candidates. And these three states are pretty much the key to November 2020. And and, and by the way, they polled them in addition to a head to head between Trump and the the Democrats. They polled people asking what they thought of impeachment. And it actually uh, correlates very well because they're anti-impeachment. So let me tell you the numbers over here. In in Michigan, Trump is beating Biden by 5%, beating Sanders by 6%, beating Warren by 9%, Buttigieg and Bloomberg by 11%. So, but again, he's winning in all of these states. Biden, it's a closer margin. Biden and Sanders, five and six percent. In Pennsylvania, Trump is beating Biden by four percent. Warren by seven percent. Sanders by eleven percent. Buttigieg by six percent in Pennsylvania. Interesting. And Bloomberg by just four percent. So Pennsylvania, Bloomberg's a little bit of an anomaly where he's he's actually losing to Trump by just four percent. In Wisconsin. Trump has a double-digit lead against most of these opponents. And listen, Biden is clearly still the front-runner in these states because these are moderate states. But Trump is even beating Biden by a healthy margin. So in, in, in Wisconsin, you got Trump beating Biden by 9, Warren by 12, Sanders by 13, Buttigieg by 11, and Bloomberg by 12. And uh, as I said, they, they, they questioned them about, about impeachment. And in all three of those states, uh, they, they asked voters, are you in favor of impeachment or against impeachment? It was close, but the majority uh, of people who were surveyed were against impeachment in all of these three states. So this whole impeachment sham by the Democrats is clearly backfiring. And I really believe it's because, you know, people are smart enough to see that there's no case. I think if they had a stronger case, it actually, you know, would be resonating more. Uh, North Korea and President Trump have been exchanging words back and forth. They've been fighting. Uh, you know, not directly, but through their statements. And the latest is North Korea actually called President Trump an erratic old man. And I mean, North Korea calling Trump erratic. Trump may be erratic, but like Kim Jong-un, you talk erratic. I mean, nobody's more erratic than Kim Jong-un. Even though now I do clearly, I do believe that mentally he is healthy and stable, not like people have speculated back in the past. But, you know, he's a very, very calculated man. But you, you talk about erratic. But look, it's been tricky. North Korea conducted a test at a site that they were supposed to be dismantling in their agreement with Trump, but they conducted this test. They're they're saying now it was a static test. It wasn't a launch. It was an engine that they tested, but they're saying it was very successful, and it's related to ICBMs. Experts say it's related to intercontinental ballistic missiles, so that's a big deal, you know, because those are used for nuclear warheads, and uh, those are used for long range, and uh, they've been avoiding those tests. So that's a statement. North Korea has threatened 
that, uh, you know, by the end of the year, if negotiations don't resume and if Trump doesn't make major concessions, they're going to try a new approach. So it is very, very frightening. Um, and they they keep sending these signals. And essentially, they're saying that Trump is just stalling. Trump doesn't want to make any concessions. He doesn't want to deal. He's just stalling till November 2020 because he wants to be able to say that the negotiations are still intact. So he gets reelected. And North Korea essentially saying, well, we're not going to allow that to happen. We're going to basically allow the talks to collapse. And that could hurt Trump politically. Okay, uh, some more details about Amazon, because we told you it's just bizarre. Ocasio-Cortez and others, they're saying, you see that? We didn't need that deal with Amazon. Amazon's coming to New York without needing the tax incentives. Do they not get it? I'm not sure which is worse. I don't know if they're if they're just being phony and just, you know, and they realize that this this deal, this Amazon move that is happening is a tiny, tiny fraction, a drop in the bucket. It's nothing compared to what they were planning on doing. I, I think they actually don't get it. And I'm not sure which is worse. But uh, here's what Amazon's original plan was, that they, they cut this deal with Andrew Cuomo. Two and a half billion dollar campus in Long Island City, Queens, Ocasio-Cortez's district. It would have brought between 25,000 and 40,000 new jobs to New York City over over 15 years. And there was a fierce bidding war. There were 200 cities that were bidding for Amazon, trying to get Amazon to come there, trying to attract Amazon. And Long Island City, Queens won. It ended up, it was going to be split into two. But Long Island, Queens won out of 200 different cities before Ocasio-Cortez and local activists stopped it. So uh, New York State and New York City offered $2.8 billion in incentives, mostly in tax breaks, to attract Amazon. And of course, they would have made that money back and exponentially more. Andrew Cuomo, See, Andrew Cuomo can't stand Ocasio-Cortez because of this. We know Pelosi doesn't like Ocasio-Cortez. She really, and in a way, you sort of give her credit because, you know, it, it is kind of like bold and courageous of her. She takes on a lot of these big, you know, Democrats, but, uh, you know, and whether she believes it or not, or she just does it for her own personal publicity, you know, I tend to be very skeptical of her, you know, true sincerity. But uh, Andrew Cuomo said, you know, that it actually... Uh, you know, New York City lost out big because there was an opportunity to generate money for schools, for housing, for transit uh, from Amazon, in addition to a lot of other benefits. So uh, here you have New York State Senator Michael Giannaris saying, look at that, Amazon's coming to New York anyway. Ha ha ha. You have AOC saying they're coming to New York anyway. This is a quote from Michael Giannaris. Amazon is coming to New York as they always planned. Fortunately, we dodged a $3 billion bullet by not agreeing to their subsidy shakedown earlier this year. Subsidy shakedown. You're giving Amazon a $3 billion tax break, and in return for that, you're going to make billions and millions. It was projected to like generate $20 billion for the city, 25,000 jobs, a major campus. I mean, Long Island City, Queens is not Manhattan. It's much harder. De Blasio said that. He said that now Amazon's coming to Manhattan. I mean, again, it's a tiny space relative to, to what they were planning on doing. It's 1,500 jobs, not 25,000. But also Queens versus Manhattan. You know, I, I have seen the area and, you know, Long Island City, Queens, it's close to Manhattan. It's across the East River, but it's not exactly a hub. You know, all these companies, they want to move to Manhattan. So that was like a major, major achievement attracting Amazon to Queens, which is Ocasio's own, own district. And yet they're saying, oh, wow, we dodged a bullet. Oh, it was a subsidy shakedown. Now, I do believe they should give tax incentives across the board. You know, whenever these Democrats, when they want to attract businesses, what do they do? They cut taxes. Well, hello, just cut the corporate tax altogether. New York has some of the highest income taxes and business taxes around the country. And businesses are, are, are 
exodusing New York in droves as a result. All right, that's going to do it on this very busy Monday, and we will see you next time.